stops in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me on Turning a Moment into a Movement. My name is Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. And um, Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't do. Innocent, ended up in prison for two years, um, and now he's home. And so because of that journey with Gerard and meeting so many other uh, mothers and family members that have loved ones that's wrongfully incarcerated, that birthed this moment, turning a moment into a movement. Well, we come here every Friday to discuss um, the injustice system, wrongful convictions, and um, also our own accountability. So today I'm excited about um, the topic that we're going to have, which is calling uh, the topic for today is transforming the county jail system. And I'm also excited about our speaker who used to be on our panel, Who's so he's at home, and his name is Edward Sanders. And he's going to come on and, and we're going to have a really intense uh, discussion about transforming the, um, the, county um, the county jail system. So welcome and thank you for joining us. So before we bring on Mr. Sanders, we're going to bring on the panel, allow them to introduce themselves. We have a guest panelist today, and she's going to come on as well and introduce herself. So let's let's get started, you guys. Greetings. You know what I heard? Let's get it started. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how y'all doing, man? It's Friday night. You know how we do. You know what's going down, turning a moment into a movement. Thank yes. you so much, Jay, uh, for being so amazing and being a fearless leader, um, as Hugo Mack always says. And um, <laughs> My name is Trisha Duckworth. For those that don't know, I am the executive director of Survivor Speak and the lead consultant at Value Black Lives. I'm just happy to be here with you. And both the guests tonight are absolutely amazing. You all will not be disappointed. So I'm going to sit back and keep my mouth shut and just listen and learn. How about that? Okay. Also, Trisha, you did not say you also are a host of your own talk show. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I got to get used to that. Yes, um, I do have a new talk show um, podcast out. Um, it's called Talk of the Town with your girl, Trisha. And wherever the news is going down, you will see Talk of the Town, right? We just want to bring the information and education and awareness to the community. And we're Tuesdays at 8 p.m. So thank you so much, Jay, for allowing that space. Yes, thank you. Hi, Allie. Hey, good to see you all. <laughs> Great seeing you. Introduce yourself. Yes, uh, my name is Alexandria. I'm certified behavior therapist, also a community activist. Some of the organized organizations I work with is Accountability for Dearborn, 
Michigan Liberation, um, and just really passionate about mental health and criminal justice, true justice. Yes. Thank you. We missed you last week. Well, yes, thank you. yes. <laughs> I'm glad you're here this week. This is going to be a really awesome conversation. Next. Hi, Rabbitia. Hey there. Listen, I love my sister. So great to see everybody. Whoop, whoop. And it's good to see everybody here tonight. Um, so excited. I am founder of The Choice Zone, where I help people and and organizations transform and collective transformation is very important and dear to my heart also a part of the g100 oneness and wisdom and michigan social justice network but out of all that is the fact that god is living within me and i'm aware of it and i like connecting with everybody else who is aware of that same thought too because we know that we have power to create change sustainable you talk about sustainable energy i'm talking about sustainable changes so thanks jay love because you have brought this platform to life and i'm feeling strong i know survivor speaks is feeling strong i know trisha ali are all feeling strong and barack i'm so excited about him and of course attorney mac oh my goodness <laughs> it's on and popping tonight so so excited Thank you, Rabbitia. So Thank I, you. I don't see Attorney Mac ready to join us. Yeah, he said he had some work to do. So I'm going to bounce over to our guest today. Hi. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Hey, Trisha. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, guys. I'm, I'm really glad to be joining. Um, I'm Alicia Dyer. I'm from Ypsilanti. I uh, was a, a deputy sheriff for seven years doing road patrol in Washtenaw County. Um, and I am now uh, a graduate, uh, a social work and public policy student at University of Michigan. And I do a lot of community organizing in Washtenaw County. And um, pretty much my focus now is to work to reduce harm in our criminal legal system um, coming from working in it to, to leaving. So yeah, happy to be here. We're so happy that you're here. Uh, let's see if uh, Tony Hugo Mac, are you ready? Mm, he's not ready. So we're going to go ahead and jump over to Edward. Hi. Hey, good evening, everyone. I appreciate everyone being here. And uh, uh, everyone can see that uh, I'm the least handsome or beautiful one that's here. So <laughs> Hello, gorgeous, all of you. You know, uh, it's good to have all of you here. Um, I'm always surrounded by beautiful women, uh, whether at the Detroit Justice Center as a member of their board of directors or here uh, on the um, um, Turning a Moment into a Movement show. I'm always surrounded by not only beautiful, but intelligent women. And um, that excites me. So thank you um, very much for allowing me to be one of these uh, guys in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same at the University of Michigan. I was always uh, in a classroom surrounded with um, beautiful and intelligent women uh, uh, um, pursuing um, their education to do um, exciting things in the world. And that's what we're here for. Um, I'm on par with these um, women or trying to be on par with them when it comes to the intellect. I may not be as beautiful as they are, <laughs> but I'm trying to keep up with them on the top, okay? <laughs> so um, 
uh, I'm very thankful to be here on this show. We have uh, some exciting things to take and discuss uh, at issue, uh, or, or the main topic is the integrity of the pipeline from our county jails to our state prisons. And the reason that the integrity of that pipeline is being questioned is, is that we normally have the idea that people who commit serious crimes are those who find themselves in the county jail and find themselves in that pipeline heading to our state prisons. But there have been recent, recent, very recent uh, research and study papers that have revealed it that the vast majority, the largest part of the county jail population is actually people who were never intended to be in county jails. So if you first think that we're finna go on this uh, rampage about um, some liberal policies, you first want to get that out, that the, the largest population of the county jail residents are individuals who were never intended to be in the county jail themselves. This is now being discussed in the highest part of our state government. So if anybody is saying they've done this already or we're doing this already, they need to also take and admit you're doing this already too. This you are doing already. So if you're talking about already doing social work, which you are not, because I know what social work consists of in county jail, but we do want to give uh, the social workers in the county jail, or we want to demand that the social workers in the county jail be given a greater uh, uh, um, space. They be given greater responsibility and work to do in the county jail. We know they want to do it. We know they're capable of doing it. They're well educated. We have good social work schools here in the state of Michigan. And in fact, we have the number one leading social school of social work in the nation here in the state of Michigan at the University of Michigan, which I am a graduate from, a master's program. And I'm very thankful for that. And I will speak up not only for the graduate students at the University of Michigan, there are also good graduate students at Wayne State University and other colleges and universities here in the state of Michigan. Uh, we have a, a young lady here, um, uh, Ms. Dyer, who is a formal uh, uh, officer who is also uh, pursuing her degree as a uh, master social worker and I believe in public administration. Um, and she brings with her um, experiences that she had in law enforcement, but where she took and found that it was too much harm being dealt with there. Um, she haven't got given up totally on law enforcement, though, and that's a great thing. There are a lot of people that are taking and seeming to bail out of law enforcement. They're not bailing out of law enforcement out of some cowardness, okay? So in, 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 in support of those individuals, they recognize that there is too much harm. The, 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 the real people... The real uh, 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 um, law enforcement type of people that go into law enforcement, they go in law enforcement because they really want to do some good. They never go there with the idea of doing harm. Those type of individuals are the few. And everyone admit that they're the few, but too often the system take and justify and give excuse to their behavior 
that takes and put a blanket, a dark blanket on all of those that are in law enforcement and in the so-called criminal justice system. But we want to take and try to help bring some integrity by advocating ideas and concepts, not to bring anything down, not to tear anything down, but to take and help. We do not want to see people who are formed in uniform sitting at trials um, being accused of, of crimes. Definitely not murder, definitely not assaults or any other kind of crime against the very people that they were sworn to take and protect. So this is why we're here in this space. We are not against law enforcement. We are not against people who, who have took and dedicated themselves, went to school, have taken um, classes and so forth and learning to take and provide services. We want to take and help them live and realize that service. In the county jail, we are questioning whether or not within our county jail that we have poor populations in particular. One is the people in our county jail, are they there because they're unemployed or underemployed? And two, the people in our county jails, are they there because they are homeless? People in our county jail, are they there because they are substance users or addicted? People in our county jail, are they there because of mental illness or unhealthy mental hygiene? Is this the population and do they represent the vast majority of the individuals that are in our county jail? And are these the people that we're putting in the pipeline from our counties to the state prison? And if these are the people that we are putting in the pipeline, leading them to the state prison, is that really the solution? Is there more viable ways to take and address their social ills? been taken and sending them to the state prison. Is that the most economically feasible thing to do? Is that the most economic feasible thing to do? Are any of us actually saying that we actually rather take and pay anywhere up to $35,000, $40,000 a year more or less to house a person annually than to take and deal with that social problem right here in the community, where not only are we spending dollars in our local community, but we are also addressing the issue. So which is it that we really want to do? We live in a democracy. We live in a democracy, and the way we are making decisions are comparable to a communist nation, or at least the propaganda that we have been given that this is how communist nations take and resolve their issues. That when you have social ills, they address their social ills by locking up their population, by imprisoning their population. This is what I grew up on. I grew up on that kind of propaganda. But yet, I was one of the children in this nation, one of more than 2,000 children in this nation that was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. That's not propaganda, that's a reality. That's a reality, but I'm home now. Within four years of having been home, I have acquired a master's degree. And in fact, I acquired that master's degree from the University 
of Michigan School of Social Work within less than half the time, with about half the time that you were spent on parole. Half the time that you were spent on parole, I acquired a master's degree. And I asked myself how many other people could have done that as opposed to spending as many years as I did in prison or who is spending decades of their life in prison when they could be doing something equivalent to this. The United States Supreme Court never said that I was innocent as a juvenile lifer, but it did say that I and other young kids that had been sentenced to prison without the possibility of parole, literally to die in America's prisons, that most of us are actually innocent, innocent of the punishment. We are innocent of that type of punishment. And I'm saying the same thing about those who are coming in our county jails, who are without jobs, who are without home, who have uh, um, substance dependence, um, or who is mentally ill. I'm saying the way we treat them, they're innocent of that type of treatment, and we can come up with other solutions. So with that, please, let's take and begin to discuss this matter. Okay, uh, Rabbitia, go ahead. Yeah, I. You know what? Thank you so much, Barack. Because uh, what what comes to me all the time is the fact that it is cheaper to heal. And what Barack just mentioned was the cost per person forty five thousand dollars. And so we have to ask ourselves, <laughs> what is really important to us? Is recovery important? Is healing important? What is important to our communities? Is the goal, what is the goal of incarceration? Goal when, when constantly people who are incarcerated have children. What is the goal when these children are left without parents? What is the goal? What is the goal when, when mothers are having children in prison? And then they're taken away. What is the goal? Where are we? See, where we put our money shows what's important to us. Well, they always say, or people always read, and ministers will often quote, wherever a man's treasure is, that's where the heart is. Wherever a man and woman's treasure, where wherever the county's treasure is, wherever the state's treasure is, where is the treasure? And the treasure, where the money is going, shows what is important. So can we turn this around? Yes. Is there, is there a difference? We can save money. At the same time, we can save lives. And at the same time, we can help heal communities. Alicia? Yeah, I, I was going to say this is this is a really good discussion, and I I just think back to some of that experience I had even when I was policing. I, I think back um this you know in the winter time especially how some people would turn themselves in um, on warrants that they had because they had nowhere to sleep, and the jail was that safety net. And you know it, it, when you think about the overall picture, why is it legal for people to be outside in the cold? 
and be homeless? And why is jail that solution? And, um, you know, I, I just think about all of the people that have been uh, incarcerated in jail for traffic fines and fees. You know, I think some of it is, you know, you have the mental health people locked up for mental health reasons and substance use. But I also quite simply just saw people locked up for not having money. Um, I remember one time being in the jail when I was policing and a friend of mine from high school was sitting in the jail and I walked over to them and asked, you know, what's going on? What are you doing here? And it was, uh, he didn't pay a traffic ticket from five years ago and uh, couldn't, you know, was waiting to um, be able to pay the bail. And, and so this, you know, the traffic fines and fees systems that we use um, really our core in this criminal justice system is revolved around making money. And when you have that as the goal under a guise of you want to rehabilitate or you want to offer people services, I think we really have to ask ourselves, what what can we do different? And we should, some people just shouldn't be going to jail even to begin with. It makes no sense why someone should go to jail because they can't pay a ticket. It makes no sense uh, how someone can be wrongfully convicted and you know, I, I was, um, Trisha actually, uh, Trisha Duckworth, her wrongful conviction summit, I talk about it all the time because it was one of those moments for me thinking back on my law enforcement career where, you know, I just start realizing more and more um, how our criminal justice system is a criminal. And, you know, if a person were to take somebody innocent and put them behind bars and keep them captive, they would be guilty of a ton of felonies, right? We would, you know, the abduction, all kinds of things, but the system does it and somehow it's okay. And, you know, how are we going to really sort of move from this punitive enforcement focused system to something that actually does make people whole and that actually does heal people in our society? Um, so yeah, really good points that are being made. Uh, and I think, um, for me, when you mention um, policing simply for someone being poor, I think of how there aren't many community-based resources and how that <coughs> prevent that all together. You know, we look at why the first, uh, when you look at like the beginning of why they're incarcerated, a lot of times it's linked to poverty. Um, and then when you're linked to poverty, the chances of having uh, mental health issues increases. Uh, and these two groups are groups are most incarcerated. Um, and as we look deeper to, into that, we see how communities aren't um, pouring money money into community-based resources. Uh, with this like topic of jails, I always I always go back to um, American Civil Civil Liberties Union has a um, project they did on Orange County Jail, and they talk a lot about um, the lack of uh, um, accessible community mental health resources um, and um, jail prevention and diversion programs um, in communities and how that actually, of course, could stop people from being incarcerated, um, less than who should be in there in the first place. Um, yeah, it's, it's there's so many links between these different things. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Trisha. So much to say on this, but I'm going to keep it short as I can. 
Um, we talked about this on Talk of the Town the other night about if we're going to look at crime, we can't just look at crime. We got to look at poverty. And then if we're going to look at poverty, we also have to look at ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and look how someone is shaped in their childhood and how they start to show them that they've committed. So that's the first mistake. Because if we're sizing somebody up to the crime that they have committed, then we're doing them an injustice because we're not looking at the whole person. I'll never forget when um, prosecutor took the office um, here in Washtenaw County. Man, it was so crazy because I actually heard people like, it's like a really like somebody trying to recall him, right? Just because he wants to look at the whole person. If we don't do that, we're doing a huge injustice to humanity within itself. How can we say that we serve a God of second chances and we don't even want to extend second chances to people? And then if we're going to look at the foundation of a human being, we got to look at the foundation of policing. Uh, the foundation of policing being slave catchers. Now, I am not anti-police. I'm not saying that. But I'm not from that school if it's just a few bad apples either. I'm from a school of... Um, uh, the foundation of that place needs to be rocked and shaken and rebuilt because if we rebuild it, then it will start to look at the whole person. But the way that it is now, if all you're doing is having that slave catching mentality, then we will continue to see our carceral systems exactly what they are. Buildings of mass incarceration, which affect African-Americans, black folks at 90 something percent while we're 14% of this earth's population. We got to look at all of that. And then we got to start to dissect it and bring solutions that are clear on the problem. Because see, we have so many solutions, but some of them are not clear on what the problem actually really is. Hi, Tiny Hugo Mac. Hello, how's everybody? It's so good to be with you. Introduce yourself right quick, and then you can join that conversation. Well. I'm joining you a little bit late today, but had some uh, legal matters to take care of. Hugo Mack is my name. Uh, probably the only attorney in the state of Michigan with two bar numbers, one horizontal, one vertical. Uh, one given to me by the state bar of Michigan, and I wear that as a badge of honor. The other given me by the Michigan Department of Corrections. I wear that as a badge of honor, too, of overcoming adversity and paying a debt not owed, and through the grace of God being here to talk about it, and to and to help so you know i'm here uh i'm so proud to be a part of this forum uh heard my brother uh barack earlier today on sam riddle show that was uh entertaining to say the least two very uh uh energy filled in individuals with with a great message so you know i'm here fighting for justice every venue i can and uh drawing strength from all of you because it can be a lonely place on the battlefield, you know, and, and, and we're all only human. So I just thank God for the strength and energy I garnered from all of you, and I'm proud to be here. Thank you, Attorney Hugo Mack. All right, Baraka, you can go take it yeah. back. <laughs> I, I appreciate the many voices that have turned in. I said that um, I was um, going to try to keep up with the top. I didn't say I was uh, uh, higher than the top, as you can see. There are many intelligent people here on this uh, panel, and they are very articulate, uh, and they have very uh, um, uh, um, views that they feel very strongly about, and I very much appreciate that. 
Um, again, um, we are not just simply um, identifying problems. We are talking about solutions. And um, um, one of those solutions I've already um, took it pretty much uh, suggested, and that is, is that we need to expand the role of social work within the county jails. Um, I um, heard one gentleman that's um, in a capacity of um, a sheriff where he was appointed to that position. He hasn't been elected. He was appointed to that position, and he's insisting that these programs, we already got them. Well, nay, you don't already have them. You don't have a program that keeps the person uh, in the community that is homeless. You don't have the program to keep the person in the community that's unemployed or the person in the community that is mentally ill. Uh, you don't have the program to keep these people from um, unnecessarily being sent down the road to the state prison. And this is why our voices are here tonight. We are saying that there's no uh, integrity. There's no integrity in that pipe that they can put a homeless person in the pipe to the state penitentiary. I once served um, at a particular prison and remind you, I served 43 years in Michigan prison. I went to prison at the age of 17 and didn't come home until just before my 60th birthday. So I went to prison in 1975 and came home in 2017. There was one gentleman that I was in um, a prison with. And um, every evening, him and I would take turns and one of us would go to the shower and come back and the other one would go to the shower and come back. And we shared this little common space. And I noticed every evening there was this foul odor. And I used to get real upset and vocal about it. And I never suspected where the odor was coming from. And one day, the same gentleman that had been taking turns and going and coming from the showers at the same time I was revealed to me that that was him. He said, that's me. And I apologized. And he explained it to me how it was him when he, in fact, was taking showers regularly. He revealed to me that he was a U.S. veteran. And while in combat, he was in a foxhole and he couldn't move for days because there were sharpshooters that would kill him. And so he had to stay in the same hole and his skin rot. So he was explaining to me that his skin was dry rot. And then when water get on it, it caused the odor. It caused the odor. Not that he's dirty, not that he's filthy or anything. So then I became curious as to how did you get here in the prison? And he revealed to me that he had a, a controlling wife and a sister that he was living in the same household with. And both of them was always contending for, for, for his, you know, loyalty one to the other or trying to control him. So he just gave up on it. He couldn't deal. He, his level of tolerance uh, uh, of, you know, drama was very short. And so he literally left home and went out in the streets to live. He couldn't put up with his wife and his sister trying to constantly control him and the, 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 the chaos that they was causing in the house. And so he said he left and he went out on the streets to live. But winter came here in Michigan and he left and went to a fast food restaurant, put his hand in his pocket and told him it was a robbery, knowing that they would call the police and he would be arrested. So he done that to get out of Michigan's cold weather. 
and he put himself in prison. He didn't intend to go that far down the line. He thought he would be able to go to the county jail. And when they discovered that he didn't even have a firearm, that maybe somehow it would take and resolve itself by the time winter was over with and that he'll be back in the community. But unlike he thought, he was in a pipeline that he had no integrity and it sent him all the way down the line to the state penitentiary. And so I learned about this guy's story and it hurt me to hear that. And here's a person that took and put his life on the front line to defend all of us. And he found himself, you know, having a low level of tolerance and it led him to leave the home and go out in the streets to take and live. And this is how we responded to him because there was no investigation about his circumstances. And this is what I'm saying. The primary thing that law enforcement officers do or supposed to do is make inquiries, some type of investigation. You, when you come into the contact of a law enforcement, they ID you. If you don't have an ID, that tells me something immediately about you. You're unemployed. Nobody can be employed without a dern, uh, uh, without an ID card. So if you tell me that you don't have an ID card and I ask you how long this has been going on, and you tell me I've been here for three, four years, you just reveal to me that you haven't been employed for three, four years. Or there's a real likelihood that you haven't been employed for that long or length of time. And as a, a, a sheriff, I can take and try to find out is there some resources in the community that if you so happen to get out of this situation you're in, could we ready you for employment while you're here in the county jail? And if you leave the county jail and go back out on bail, could we do something as a continuous reach into the community? Well, mm -hmm. I'm the sheriff in the county jail. Can I reach out to other state agencies? Can I reach out to other county agencies? Can I do something other than be a utensil between the prosecutor and the court and sending you down the line to the state prison? And this is what I'm talking about, us reimagining the role of county sheriffs. Instead of sitting there in the road like a deer when the light hits you and you wait on others to tell you what to do, you already have an agenda. And we're saying that you have previously been given agenda by the courts and the prosecutors. Now we the people are going to offer you a different agenda. You would not become uh, uh, county prosecutors. I mean, excuse me. You would not become county sheriffs in the state of Michigan if some of us who have been out here protesting have any say about it. And I'm saying to those of you who have been out there in the streets this past summer, this past two years more or less, those of you who have been out there, you have did an excellent job in deconstructing this situation now we need you to come back to the table and and construct or reconstruct in our own image of what we want the law enforcement agencies to be we all know what the problems are we all know what the problems are the the largest number of recidivism in our county jails are veterans our veterans when they go into the county jail there is a federal statute called Inmate Ex Medical Exclusion Act that cuts off their medication or taken suspended. When these beautiful peoples 
like the Detroit Justice Center, Michigan Liberation, and others, when they go in with they with they with they uh, um uh, 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 um bail program to to abolish the um bail system, and they're using their cash money, they're taking bail people's out of the county jail. They're finding that they got another problem because there's a there are social issues. When they bail these peoples out of the county jail, they come to find out because of their medication being cut off, like the U.S. veterans, mm -hmm. their medication being cut off, mm -hmm. they now have another issue on their hand. They done brought the person out of the county jail. They find out that the person doesn't have a home, so they got to go put them up. In addition to taking and bailing them out, they have to go put them up in a hotel. Then they got to go take and pay for some medication for them. Without doing this, they are doing the same thing that the system is doing, simply releasing them, allowing them to, re to, to regress again. And this is why the largest population in our county jails are veterans. So if you're tired of us liberals, as you would call us, or whatever name you want to give us, if you're tired of us talking, then you're tired of that U.S. Uh, uh, a veteran. You are tired of him or her. And mm -hmm. she is in this. Even though this situation has been given a face, maybe a black face, maybe you see a black man, maybe you see a black woman, but you don't see the U.S. veteran. You don't see him or her with that flag around him that was marching at the front line for you. You don't see them, but they're in the mix too. It's like Jesse Jackson said years ago, poverty has been given a face. And because it's been given a false face, People's accepted. But he pointed out the largest number of people that are in poverty in America are white women and white children. But we don't see that face. We don't see the face of white women and white children. We see the face of black, you know, the big black fat woman. That's the image that we are given of the welfare queen and the brother. You know, maybe with gold change on, living high off the hog, off of the system. That's a false image. That's a false image, and we need to correct this system, please. Right. So basically, you're saying that uh, as we reimagine the um, a different system, we're looking at a system that looks at the whole person and uh, takes into account uh, what the whole person needs other than just the crime that was committed. I know we were talking earlier and you had mentioned about, you know, maybe somebody was shoplifting, but maybe their problem was they didn't, they didn't have a job or they couldn't have, they had a problem being employed. And so when you are inside these um, county systems, that could be uh, helpful, like helping people become employable. Um, like the conversation we were having earlier, Edward. Yes, we have trade unions right here in, in Wayne County. We have trade unions throughout the state of Michigan. They can use men and women. They can use some men and women. Mm -hmm. They need men and women to be in these trades. And um, we finding that there is a population within our society that has given up. They no longer on the unemployment list because they you know they've been rejected so many times uh, where so many of us have like uh, formal convictions here in washington county 
the Washington County Prosecutor Office in participation with um, uh, uh, um, nonprofit organizations and other state agencies. They have helped over 500 people remove felony convictions off of them where they have been free of any criminality for more than five years, five years or more. So there's 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 more than 500 people here now have the freedom to take and get jobs, to take and pursue higher education or vocational trades, or to be able to move into um, homes or apartments where they previously couldn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. But those numbers are multiplied all over the state of Michigan. And this hasn't always been the case. And some of the parties are not willing to participate. You know, Trish took and talked about where somebody was immediately hollering, let's take and recall the prosecutor as soon as he came in office with some of these ideas. We even had a guy that's supposed to have been a member of the NAACP. This person was demanding, you know, that that ain't what the prosecutor's supposed to be doing, you know? This is a member of the NAACP. He's saying that this isn't what the prosecutor, you damn right, it, it, it wasn't what they was doing. But there's been a mandate, and the peoples gave them a mandate. Mm-hmm. Okay? The peoples gave them a mandate, and that mandate says something different, and that's what we want to say to the county sheriff. We want to say that you are no longer a utensil. We have a guy running for Wayne County Sheriff to say that he want to take a second lead, a seat to the Detroit Police Department. Well, let me inform you, the Detroit Police Department does not have any credibility. Did you see his formal chief announce that he was running for governor? And did you see the people's response to him? Do you see what his response was to people who were out exercising their, their First Amendment right to protest and to assemble? He took and arrested them. And you had to have attorneys to go into court and get hundreds of people out of the situation that he put them in in taking and arresting them. The judicial system said that he was wrong, that they were exercising their constitutional rights to take and protest against their government. And they all have been released. The charges have been dropped on them. And this man, this man, Remember, the Detroit Police Department, it lost its own Detroit uh, 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 crime lab. So here we're talking, we got the largest number of people in the state of Michigan convicted out of Wayne County alone. We got the largest number of people that have been declared to be innocent or there is a, a lack of integrity of their convictions. The largest number. And the Detroit Police Department the crime lab that was used to convict them has been lost to the Detroit Police Department. And this guy is running for Wayne County Sheriff and he want to rely on that. He <laughs> want to rely on that. Well, we want to rely on you taking and not succeeding as county prosecutor because we do not want any other law enforcement agency depending on that type of, uh, of leadership. We don't want anyone else depending on that type of leadership. So if you're wondering why the men and the women are running and leaving your department in large numbers, if you want to know why you didn't even have the integrity to go to them and ask them to work overtime where you were short of men and women and that you went to the court before you went to their union, that's why they're leaving. 
You don't have an idea of what leadership is. You need mm -hmm. to listen, not talk. You need to listen. We have a mandate. We have a mandate for you, not you having a mandate for us. I'm the one with the vote. This is my vote. When I came out of prison, it didn't take me no more than 30 minutes, about 30 minutes after I've been I was released from a state prison. I was in a secretary of state office registering to vote, and I intend to use my vote. And anyone else that's been incarcerated that think you can't vote, quit listening to the propaganda. Get your ass down to the secretary of state office. Register to vote. Register your disagreement. Register your damn anger. We don't want you out there doing any damn thing else other than showing up at the damn polls and expressing your position. And nobody owes anybody a favor for doing their damn job. And I'm saying that to those that have been uh, exonerated in, the, in Wayne County. You all ain't got to run behind that Wayne County Sheriff and, 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 and get her elected or support her because she released you. That's her damn job. That mm. wasn't a damn favor to you. That was her damn job. And believe me, there are some people that can do a better job. And if you don't believe me, you look at Victoria, who you failed to take an elected Wayne County. You look and see what the hell she's doing right here in Washington <laughs> County. Look at the, the new policies they got. They have a situation where I'm asking that we do in Wayne County, that we do the same thing. When men and women come in there and it appears to be social issues that we can deal with, let's allow those who have been violated, the victims themselves, in cooperation with the prosecutor and the court to determine whether or not we might want to drop those charges if the person meet a, a, a particular a, a, a criteria. If you ain't stealing from somebody, okay, we are taking set you up with a job. Can't you, as the as the um, county um, sheriff, can you not work with other county agencies and find out whether or not you can get this person in a job? Can you not work with other county agencies and determine whether or not you can find a home for this person? Can you not, with other county agencies, find out whether or not you can provide treatment for these people we are talking about not the county jail providing these services we are talking about facilitating facilitating these services mm -hmm. you take pictures of people when they come into county jail you take fingerprints of people when they come into county jail that's an id to take and seek employment okay you have community organizations all over the county all you have to do is welcome their services all you right. have to facilitate that. Provide a place, a space in the county jail where these community organizations and these uh, 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 um, state agencies can come in and provide the services that they already have money for. You don't even have to take and get a budget for it. You don't even have to get a budget for it. The state already have a budget. The Michigan, Michigan Works already have money to train people for jobs. Okay, um, there are a, a, a drug program. They already got the money. All you have to do is facilitate. And so attorneys should be listening to us because we are proposing ideas that will give you, the, the defense attorneys, alternatives for your clients other than going in that pipeline that has no integrity. No integrity. Anytime you can put somebody in there that's mentally ill 
or anytime you can put somebody in there that that is homeless or anytime you can put somebody in there that's unemployed and that's the real basis of them being there it has no integrity wow. I, was at, I was at the uh, facility in adrian i think it was adrian correctional facility come count time i used to run around the unit by myself um uh, uh, at the count clear i would be able to go to the microwave go to the shower go to the tv room there was no other prisoners guess where they all were they were all in the medication line there were so many prisoners lining up to get medication they did the official count of the prisoners while they were out in the line to get medication it looked at like people's going to a concert to see rock stars they're going to get the pills Mm, mm, mm. What Michigan prison look like now? Wow. Uh, go ahead, Trisha. How did you know I had something to say? <laughs> how you was, I saw how you was rocking. <laughs> you know, so much powerful, so many powerful things that that you said, brother. Um, and I and I I think about those solutions and things that that could be done. Um, and I even think about when you said about social workers and you know, because I mean, I am a social worker. I'm not always as proud to say that because even in that field, we have gatekeepers of the system. And I just feel like we need a cleaning of the house in every area so that we can begin to help people the way that they need us, not the way that we wanna help them because sometimes the way that we wanna help them is not the best way. So that's why I feel like you have people that slip through the cracks because social workers that are already in place allow that because they don't go that extra mile. You don't hear heavy advocacy. You don't hear us crying loud and sparing not. You don't hear that from the, the, from the profession, in my opinion, the way that we should. So I challenge all of us as social workers to go back to our first love as why we even wanted to become social workers in the first place. Some people say, oh, because it's an easy degree. Well, if that's why you became a social worker, then you need to excuse yourself from the profession. Mm. But if you became a social worker because you love people, you love humanity, and you believe in second chances, and you believe in walking shoulder to shoulder with people, then you need to shake yourself in this profession and understand that we don't need to be a gatekeeper of the system. We need to be the ones challenging the system so that we can bring forth the necessary changes. It's on us to usher that in. See, we can't expect the sick, the broken, those that are hurting to navigate through this demon of racism and white supremacy that, that is locked into these agencies. That's on us. We can't be gatekeepers of racism and white supremacy. We have to break the chains through heavy advocacy and doing the work from our hearts, not from our heads. See, sometimes in this field, we're too much in our heads. Oh, research, research, research. Let me tell you something about research. Research is racist, okay? Just because something is not being researched does not mean that it is not an issue within our community. But that's just another way to have gatekeepers in place to keep us from getting the resources that we need. Because again, if the researchers don't wanna research it, then they don't, and then people don't get funding. This thing is so ugly and it's so complex, but guess what? We have the power to change it. See, like my brother Baraka said, we're the boss. 
but we have to understand what that vote really means. And not just an individual vote, but when we mobilize and when we come together and we have the power of a community, that's when our legislators will understand that we mean business and that we the boss. And if they don't do what we say, then they gonna have to go. Mm. Go ahead, Lisa. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with that. And I think about uh, social work too. And like, even like, uh, I know some people are fighting for mandated supporting instead of mandated reporting and how, um, you know, there were situations I remember on patrol where, you know, uh, technically, you know, we were told we were supposed to do a CPS referral and, you know, it was for something related to poverty or, you know, maybe someone, um, I remember in one situation, uh, you know, a mom, it was laundry day. And, you know, I grew up low income. So, you know, I was, a t you know, we had to take our laundry to the laundromat, didn't have a washer and dryer in the home. And so, you know, on laundry day, you got all your clothes and stuff piled up in the corner. And um, there was a call and it was brought up. Maybe we should notify CPS because of the condition of the house. But if you actually knew the family, then you knew, oh, well, they were getting ready to go to the laundromat. And so there's these, uh, you know, I really think that when you're operating in the system, it could be really easy to judge um, someone that you're supposed to be helping and um, social work, policing, education, you, you know, they all have these problems. But going back to the so the solutions involving uh, jails and uh, sheriffs, I, I think that the progressive prosecutor movement nationwide has shown us a lot. It's shown us that who uh uh, is at the top of these systems, it really matters. And there's so much that you can do. There's so much that Ellie and Victoria have done in Washtenaw County. There's so much that people have done nationwide. And um, sheriffs are the same way. The sheriffs have a lot of power. And who you elect as sheriff really matters because they have the power. Um, in Washtenaw County, we have police services. So they have a lot of power over uh, the police response. They also have power over dispatch and uh, also the jails. And, and so when you think about, you know, how you can use policy to change what people are doing in the first place, so people don't find themselves even in the jail to begin with, or so people are really handled with care and offered, um, offered help instead of, um, instead of enforcement, I think that we have to really think about the management in, in police departments. And who, uh, you know, nationwide, I think about how some of the decisions that police managers have made have had devastating consequences for a community. Um, I think about um, the situation, you know, where uh, George Floyd was killed. Derek Chauvin was a training officer. And the reason that he was a training officer was an administrative decision that the police chief made. And so when you think about Who's training, who's training officers, who's training new officers, what they're allowing to even happen at their department. There's a lot of things that if you're at the top of that agency or system, at least on the local level, you can just stop the harm with policy and, and following um, oftentimes with what these progressive prosecutors have been able to do. So I think paying attention to police chiefs and sheriffs is another really key um, area of focus that um, activists and community organizers should be aware of. Attorney Hukomat? Well, several things. First of all, in terms of the responsibility that we have, um, I agree with what Barack has said in terms of the vote, but it, it even goes beyond that because 
if you have a penitentiary experience, a criminal justice experience, fortunately in Michigan, you can vote, but you can't sit on a jury. So when you look at my situation, for example, having been restored to the practice of law, I can pick a jury, but I can never sit on one. Now, think about what that says to people similarly situated to myself with a criminal justice experience or Baraka, you know, come out model citizen in every sense of the word. You put a perpetual stigma on him and me that regardless of what we've done with our life, we're not good enough to sit in judgment on anybody else. But you perpetually will sit in judgment on me because even though my life has been exemplary since the criminal justice experience, it doesn't make any difference. So you perpetually put that chain on me. And that's why I agree. The uh, progressive prosecutor movement is, is important, but you must have a progressive judiciary. Okay, you see, because the prosecutor doesn't set bail, the judge does that. You understand? So that's why in these elections, and I'm I'm gonna get real down local with it. In these local elections for judges, you talk about people being willing to walk in the streets. You need to show up to every debate, every public forum, every speaking engagement that these people running for judges have and ask them where they're coming from on restorative justice. And we need to be very, very careful. Everybody wearing our uniform is not necessarily on our team. So you talk about gatekeepers, you really wanna be sure that people who say that they're supporting uh, some, some noble worthy cause, let's say uh, uh, protecting women, all right? You know, uh, as if that's a gender-based situation. Uh, all of us are responsible to protect everybody else. But historically, particularly dealing with, with black women and, and, and white supremacy, you know, every person that said they're for the women's rights movement were not for the African-American black movement, okay, in terms of African-Americans, okay? So, you know, uh, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and them was really no great friend, okay, to the, to the emancipation of black people. Uh, there was a backlash in terms of black men being able to get the right to vote, uh, not because not, not being able to discriminate on the basis of race, you know, the truth of the matter is with white supremacy, which impacted white women, they said, no, 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 no. Let's not worry about them black boys' right to vote. Let's get the woman's right to vote first. So we need to be very careful when we see these groups, and these organizations that sound good. And I think we need to go a little further and say, okay, well, you have a man here, so you want to protect women. Okay, well, what do you think about restorative justice? What do you think about giving people a fair opportunity when they come home? What do you think about the wrongfully convicted? Are there any other victims other than what you say a, a victim is? So I think we need to be very careful with our vote and be very careful that we don't get caught up in the glitter of joining an organization, supporting an organization that maybe sounds look good on the surface, but when you really look underneath it, um, unfortunately, you've got some supremacy issues that we got to confront. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what, I, I've, I've got a question. Because I know that for a long time in Michigan, um, it was a pay to stay fee of uh, 60, if not $50 every day that a person was incarcerated. So, and this is at the county level. And at the county level, people were returning home with a bill that they didn't even have the money to survive just everyday experiences. 
and then they leave prison or leave jail with an, uh, a big bill that now they have to pay. Now, they say that it was supposed to help give money back to taxpayers. I, I really believe that it's time for us to sincerely look at what is happening with the dollars. Because when you look at it, they have a whole fiscal department just for the county jail, over millions of dollars. So if you're talking at a county level, uh, what it was the 36 or 45,000, somewhere in between, depending on which facility or whatever, we are not being fiscally accountable. And somebody else is gaining from this, but it's not the taxpayer. And now is the time for us to actually say, okay, what can I do to make some changes? Are there, is there anybody forerunning to stop or put another protocol in place? They should not have a fee on top of, especially coming, you know, they have so many people with ACEs, um, adverse childhood experiences, and here we are adding more trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And how are we supposed to help heal the community like this? It's time for us to elevate our thinking. Barack, did they come down? I have heard, I think in Ingham County, they've reduced it to $8 a day. I wasn't even aware that anyone was talking about reducing uh, the county jail stay, uh, but it is, it's ridiculous. In, in Wayne County, for example, we wouldn't even be talking about the building of a new county jail if we not had um, people in the county jail that didn't supposed to be there in the first place. Mm -hmm. okay. So it's not my argument or your argument that people that are in the county jail that shouldn't be there. These are findings that has already been presented to the governor, to the state legislator, and even to the uh, Michigan Supreme Court. Um, the chief justice of the, uh, of the Michigan Supreme Court is literally chairing uh, committees, investigative forums right now, and hearing um, stories um, from the public um, about you know who has been there, uh, who is there in that space, and mm -hmm. and to come up with with the courts are finna, uh, and the courts not only the courts but the legislature and everybody is finna start taking the issuing directives. So even though I'm excuse me, even though I'm saying this and you and others are advocating, there are gonna be some clear directives. But we don't have to wait on the court to tell this person that we should be the first line of defense in a democracy because election is right around the corner. We are finna take and vote. They're finna have a special election in Wayne County for um, Wayne County uh, uh, um, Sheriff. We can make a decision. You have a guy that's um, acting as sheriff right now. He made a statement recently that the Wayne County Jail is the safest place you can be in regards of um, being safe from the pandemic, from this, from this virus. He said that in face of the fact that the most recent sheriff died due to the virus, being affected by the virus. And I thought that was very ins 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 insensitive. 
You know, the sheriff lost his life. Okay, so this is something that that institution should be taken very seriously to protect everyone that's there in that county jail working or that's coming into that space. To sit there and campaign and run on the idea that that space is most protective of any and everybody in there. I watched the man taking a uh, um, proclaim uh, uh, proclaimed his run for county um, sheriff and present sheriffs in the county was standing up rebuking the guy that's presently the sheriff at his uh, gathering. He didn't have to say anything. In fact, he started off by saying, we are not going to do or say anything that's critical of the other guy. But present deputies stood up, men and women, and they were rebuking this guy. And they worked for him. And they wasn't afraid to say what they were saying, that they had no confidence in the person. you know. And so these things are serious in terms of who we choose. We, we are building a brand new county jail that's costing us millions of dollars that should never have even been built if we only had the people that actually supposed to be in the county jail. We wouldn't have had to take and flip the, um, the ticket for this. We wouldn't be fighting with business peoples in downtown Detroit that want that space for business. We wouldn't even be having that battle with them. It would have been a foregone thing. This is prime real estate, downtown Detroit. That space should go to those people. They shouldn't be arguing with the county sheriff over space that the county sheriff wants. And this is a shame because remember this, county jails are places where people are detained that has the presumption of innocence. Everyone in the county jail, except those who have actually been convicted by a jury is presumed to be innocent and to proven guilty. So if we have a sheriff competing with the state prison in terms of the harshness of the county jail environment, it takes away the presumption of the person even before they walk in the courtroom. We are treating them harsher in the county jail than they will be treated in the state prison and in the county jail, they are presumed to be innocent. So attorneys need to take and be kind of creative. You know, this is an argument. Your client, you're taking away the presumption. Here we got, we had a sheriff in a, in, in a, in a county in down, down south somewhere where he was dressing the inmates up in the county jail in pink because he wanted to humiliate them. But this was a sheriff, not a state prison. This was a sheriff. And this is what I'm saying. We are creating every, just because you're in law enforcement and somebody come to you with a proposal to cause harm don't mean that you have to accept it. And this is what's going on. We have social workers doing this. Uh, 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 um, Trish was right. Why in the prison, you got social workers that are housing unit managers. They got posters on their wall in their office that say they got you know the the uh, 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 Walt Disney uh, uh, um, characters and and it's like take that BS down the rock. It's telling the person when they come in the office they don't even want to hear it even before you say it. So they got insulting posters on their wall. Who do that? You're a mental health worker and you got a poster on your wall insulting people when they come into your office. 
This is a norm inside of the Department of Correction. This is a norm. This is not the abnorm. Where could you take and maintain a job in a mental health uh, um, field where you take and put posters up that take and insult the people that you're supposed to treat? This is a norm in the, in the culture in the MDOC. If I were to take and do that, to put up a poster to say something derogatory towards women, I will be fired. If I was to put up a poster that says something derogatory towards people with, with handicaps, etc. But this type of behavior is normal in the Department of Correction. You have people with degrees, not the people without the degrees. You have the people with the degrees, social worker degrees, master's degrees, that have things like that on their damn walls, you know, and they have the nerve to say that they are correcting them. They are correcting. It's a damn shame that you even say that. That's right. You've seen them posters, haven't you? <laughs> You've seen the poster that told you, take that BS down. You know, they got the cartoon character. And he's yeah. telling can you I, to take that BS down away. Right. Can I say something, J-Lo? Yeah, go ahead, Attorney Hugo. Okay, look here. This man speaks the truth. Let me... Let me tell you what happened to me. I was, uh, once I was out, I was arrested for a parole violation. Wasn't out three weeks. And the substance of my parole violation was I refused to tell the parole officer I was guilty of a crime I know I did not commit. So she violated me for that. She, she violated me for that. They, they've got what they call a 45-day hearing, okay, when 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 they violate your, uh, your uh, uh, parole, okay? Now, when I would go in this woman's office, okay, prior to being arrested for not telling her I was guilty of something I didn't do, she had a little statue on her desk with words to the effect of, hey, uh, you want me to say I'm sorry for keeping you waiting? I'm not. You ain't got nothing else to do. Now, she was addressing that to parolees. In other words, to people that were coming in to try to get guidance and help through the maze of parole. So she let me know from Jump Street what she thought about me. She kept my black behind sitting outside in that waiting room like I was waiting for government cheese. You understand what I'm telling you? So what I'm telling you is that's what they did. And when I was arrested on route to a parole revocation hearing, I made a simple mistake of asking an officer on the yard, excuse me, officer, what time is it? That man told me I'd have no right to ask him what time it was. That time was irrelevant to me. Okay, and my job was to do what the MM Bloom I was told to do. That's what that man told me to my face. And I'm wearing blue and orange. This man is wearing black and gray. You understand what I'm telling you? Wearing black and gray. And this is a man you say is supposed to supervise me, supposed to rehabilitate me, supposed to help me. No, no. I was I was in a criminal element, but in that instance, the criminal was wearing the black and the gray, not the blue and orange. And, and what I'm what I'm proposing here is that what we what 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 we need for a sheriff is that we need a very vigorous social work program that would give social workers more responsibility than simply taking and filling out a visitation list for an inmate when they come into the county jail. 
they should take and have the assignment is to take and try to assess independent because remember the judicial matter is to be resolved adjudicated in the court that ain't the sheriff's prerogative the sheriff should take a look at the social issue when the person come in there you are now no longer a threat to anybody because you are in custody but the sheriff to take and prevent crime and prevent recidivism he or she has an opportunity now to use the information that they are gathering upon your admission into the county jail to determine what, what particular social issue, if any, they can take an address of yours. They can use that information to provide you services while you're in the county jail and or after you leave the county jail. This is to take and prevent crime and recidivism. And that way, unlike traditionally, the sheriff won't be just sitting there between the prosecutor and the court just simply detaining you under inhumane conditions. They will have assignment. That assignment is, is you are to take and facilitate the maximum amount of services to your population from state agencies and county agencies and community services. Allow them the opportunity to do what they already have a mandate to do. Being that you don't know how to do anything other than to accept suggestions of harm, we want to say quit that. Quit that. You've been doing that good to the extent that the conditions in county jails are worse, worse than the conditions in state prisons. So we want to tell you stop that. That ain't what you're supposed to do with people who are presumed to be innocent and to proven guilty. That can be your neighbor, okay? That can be your neighbor. That can be your minister. That can be the clergy person. That can be Martin Luther King Jr., okay? That's who in the hell that can be. Martin Luther King Jr. in a Montgomery jail taking and, and being arrested for taking and exercising his civil rights of disobedience to uncivil laws. That's who that can be. It can be a clergy from, from Alabama saying that, or from Atlanta saying that he ain't putting up that with that no more, who took and changed his name to signify his 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 defiance of a system that he, he no longer believed in, okay? That's who the hell that can be. And why he's there is none of your damn business to be judging him. You provide him with the damn treatment he need. If he need Coretta to come down there and talk to him, then you facilitate where Coretta can come down there and say hello to him. Anything else ain't none of your damn business. And if the court and the prosecutor then gave you previous agendas, then we saying that's no. And I think it's a damn conflict of interest for a prosecutor to appoint a sheriff or uh, in a position, even temporarily, because you are facilitating that person's job and not the job of the people. You, I'm saying you infringing on my right if I'm a resident of that county, if you take and say that I'm putting this person in that position, let me, the people, let us say that even if it's a temporary position, it, be, it should be somebody other than the very court and the prosecutor who this person sit in the intersection between. Those people too often use the county prosecutors in ways that they shouldn't. It is those people who put people in the county jail that should have never been there 
and where you should have been raising your damn voice and saying that, hey, I got people's in my county jail that's in here for not having insurance. They've been out arresting people for private companies and putting them in my county jail. Why in the hell didn't you speak up? That was a crime. You got law enforcement that you're talking about you're going to take a back seat to over in the Detroit Police Department. They've been out arresting people for private companies. An insurance company is a private business. They have no more right to go out and arrest somebody for not having insurance than taking and putting Detroit police out at a damn ball game at a private at a private ball game. They had no more right to do one than the other. And we are saying enough is enough. Exactly. Enough. I know that um, when we talk about the task force that the governor put together, at that time, they were, they were speaking on how um, crime was down. But there were um, the majority of people who were in these local jails were there because of driving offenses. And it was like, you know, maybe 300,000 people at one time whose licenses were suspended. So, uh, <laughs> so now you, you, you get the data together and you see that you have these at a time where crime is down, jails are full because of driving violations. And then not on top of that, you have a fee. If a person can't afford a $150 ticket, then you're going to add a $500 driver's responsibility fee. And so, and then if they can't pay that, now they're in jail. So they lose their job or they can't get to the job. They have this bill of $500 that they have to pay on top of the ticket and everything else that, you know, the fees or whatever. So now you have this problem of all these people driving without a license because of something you created with your policies. Not that it um, driving um, tickets shouldn't cost you a <laughs> jail time. Like it's ridiculous. But these are the policies that um, people create because we don't pay attention to who we're voting for. So it goes back around to that. We have to pay attention to the people that we're putting in office. We have to go to, like you said, or Attorney Hugo Matt said earlier, we have to go and listen to these judges. You know, I was at UAD um, Law School for um, um, a program, and I found out that, you know, from a judge, that people don't vote for judges. So the judges get in by the votes of the police and police unions. That's who really they cater their conversation to because they already know that we're not going. We don't pay attention and we're not voting for them. But these are the people that we need to pay attention to. These local elections are so important, more important than the president because these are the people who are have dictate your local life every day, daily. And so we have to be more proactive. Go ahead, Alicia. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I just, I really appreciate this conversation because it's so true. You know, something I've been saying is that, you know, police should not be hired guns for insurance companies. Exactly. And I, I asked people, what if the police started arresting people for not paying medical bills or uh, student loans? And so why are we, you know, as cops told to 
you know, enforce uh, someone that can't pay insurance for a month? How is that helping safety? Um, but you see this, the system, you know, it, it's so corrupt. So like, you know, I, I can talk about Ipsy Township in Washtenaw County, the, uh, the court and the local Ypsilanti Township government has been relying on traffic ticket fine and fee revenue to keep their systems operational. And what this does is they contract sheriff deputies. So they're able to contract sheriff deputies and then they're able to say, hey, sheriff, make sure your deputies ticket people because we need that revenue. And this has been happening nationally. This is this happened in Ferguson. Um, and, you know, this is just one of those examples of the relationship between um, local governments and, and the courts and the sheriffs and how it all sort of props up this revenue generation system. Um, and, you know, it, it's a poverty tax because who's actually getting those tickets? You know, the the you know, uh, if you look at even on a, you know, Wayne, I know Washtenaw County really well. I'm not as familiar as Wayne, but you look at a map of Washtenaw County, most of the police are in the eastern side of the county. And this is also where uh, there's the most inequity and the most under-resourced neighborhoods. So just by sheer numbers, you're going to have inequity and you're going to have uh, poor people getting a bunch of tickets because there's more police there. And then you add in the profiling and um, the the reality that black and brown people are getting pulled over at higher rates. And so it really just becomes this classist, racist uh, system and it should be illegal. And so the leaders of these systems, um, you know, you, so, you know, there's ways to just stop it. Right. And that needs to happen. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we got to discuss that because I did see a lot of people arrested um, or put in jail, you know, the no insurance, expired registration, traffic tickets. The, I mean, these are all related to poverty. Right. And as you said, police shouldn't be higher guns for an insurance company. They should also not be higher guns for uh, evictions, you mm. know, and in Detroit, they were using police for evictions. It's like, no. So again, uh, they're, um, predatory to people that are in poverty. And so then you wonder why you have this bad relationship with the police because they're always showing up where something is not good. They're, they're the first ones in line. They're, they're there when you're getting put out. They're there when you run a light, you know? And so these relationships um, doesn't help the community build a better relationship with them. So if you stop um, being so predatory against people that are poor or, you know, disadvantaged, uh, black people, uh, people of color, we can have a better system. You know, these the county system, I know, and I was listening to you, um, Baraka, when you were speaking about how it's worse than the prison, and it just, it, it brought up a memory that Gerard even spoke to me about, and he said that, um, when the prison was better than than the county Wayne County Jail, and I was really shocked that he said that. He was like, "It was terrible," um, you know. Although he, it was terrible at the prison, but it was worse at the county. And so we have to make these systems, you know, um, better. So that's why we're here and we're having this conversation because we need solutions. Go ahead, Ravitia. 
Yeah, I'm telling you, um, you know, the criminalization of poverty is really what we're dealing with. Um, and, and it's because this platform, we're talking about wrongful convictions. And at the same time, there's so many other elements that come into play. And I am really speaking out so that people can lose the narratives of the day. Stop going with whatever narrative is happening at the time. I remember talking to um, a friend of mine who lives in Detroit, and they just went with a narrative because they were part of the police department, the police department, or another friend of mine who was a part of the fire department. And they said, well, the police are voting this way. Well, the fire department is voting this way, but not really taking the initiative to discover what is that person who's running for office? What are they all about? Not just what they're saying. What has their actions been in the past? What have they demonstrated? We are lazy. We have been lazy. I, and I will say I have been at one time in my life, not anymore. We have to take the blinders off. It is high time for us to look criminalization of people, of poor people, of people who are already at a disadvantage, of people who are already underserved. We need to look this monster in the face and say no more and, and capture the monster, put them out of office in the mindset, get rid of that mindset because until it hits you, then you don't understand. Well, well, I'm okay. I can pay my insurance. I got my life together. And if you're saying that you're part of the problem, you have joined the problem whether you like it or not. And we are coming against that mindset, that mindset. Right. Go ahead, Trisha. Well, I um, I know it's, it's probably bringing this to a close, but um, if we don't put humanity above money, <coughs> we are going to continue to see this and witness people be criminalized um, because they are poor and we have to know that that was on purpose and so because that was on purpose we have to stand and fight back on purpose we've got to show up and show out it see you know people have peg survivors speak as a protest group but no we don't just protest because see if you protest without following up with the after work, you ain't did nothing. You may as well have got on a treadmill and screamed Black Lives Matter for an hour because it won't matter. You ain't did nothing but burn some calories. It's about, it's not about the march. It's about the marching orders. And in that, what does that mean? Showing up at the city council meetings, showing up at your, let me tell you something. We talk about all this stuff going on in Wayne County, Washington County. We need to be at the commissioner meetings. This is where they decide where the money is going to go. All of these things happen and they happen on 
our watch. See, so we want to hold these folks accountable, but accountability starts with us so that we can shake ourselves and say, hey, we've got much more power than we even realize, especially when we join together as one. I'm telling you, if we fight together and we do this work together, we can see great change. We just have to stay at it. Go ahead, Baraka. Again, what we're talking about is the integrity of that pipeline from our um, county jails um, to our state prisons. We can't have integrity if we are taking if we are taking and um, incarcerating men and women because of poverty. If we are incarcerating people that are homeless, if we are incarcerating people because of their drug addiction, if we are incarcerating people. Uh, because of their unemployment or mental illness, uh, that's not a solution. We are taking and putting bandages on our um, social ills as opposed to addressing them. These are the things that we was told that are did in communist nations. We were never told that we do that. So the fact that we are not clearly told that means that we don't support it. So don't be as though you feel that you are protecting law enforcement and the criminal justice system by maintaining the status quota because you've been lied about about the status quota. You haven't been told that we are the leading nation. This nation is the leading nation in locking children up in the world. That China, Iran, uh, uh, the Sudans, or any other place that you've heard terrible things about, none of them do what we do in terms of how we treat our women, our children, and our fellow men. None of them do what we do. And we're not just sitting here talking about the problem. We want to talk about the solution. And all I'm saying is, is that a sheriff needs to take and work with other government agencies. It needs to take and work with community organizations. And I'm not talking about where, you know, we have the guy that's presently running for county sheriff. He must have mentioned the uh, 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 um, the uh, county executive a dozen times last week in a matter of just a few seconds. This guy's running for office, and he must have mentioned Warren Evans' name uh, uh, um, a dozen times. By and he wanted to give the implication that somehow Warren Evans is working with him in the county jail to get all these things did. Well, Warren Evans isn't working with you. And I haven't heard him come out and um, endorse you, your candidacy. And that's not an intelligent way to take and campaign. If you want to do something, you want to get something did, you should take and speak to the people. Don't tell us that you're doing something that's not being did. What's being did is, is that we are putting the wrong people in prisons. We have companies that are industries that are coming here to the state of Michigan and they are not even finding the potential workers that can satisfy the industries that they want to bring here and they leave it. And all we got is all the politicians pointing fingers at each other, talking about administrative things that haven't been did to make that possible. It couldn't happen with the numbers of people that you were putting in prison. You are locking up your talent, okay? We were only able to take and become we were only able to take and become uh, uh, um, the, 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 the engine to the middle class here in Michigan with, with the auto industry is because we employed people. We didn't always have the people here in Michigan to take and build the cars. 
those peoples came from southern states. My mother, my father, my grandparents, my aunts and my uncles, they came from places like Mississippi and Alabama and Atlanta, Georgia, okay, Louisiana. They came here to Michigan when Michigan didn't have those workers and they built automobiles and they built the middle class. Now we are putting peoples in numbers that suppress the three major auto industries inside of our county jails, and we are expecting to get a response from major industries to take and plant themselves here as though we still have the men and women to run those manufacturers. We do not. We do not have the men and women to do that. That talent is behind bars in the state of Michigan. You would never take and attract uh, uh, um, industries here with the numbers that we put in prison. Here we had an African-American that was the head of the MDOC, and he was proud to be able uh, um, to do one of Clarence, um, uh, uh, Clarence Thomas acts and say, I'm, I'm the head of the largest employer in the UP. He was proud to say that there were more people um, in the UP that was working for the MDOC than any other state agency or industry. That's a shame. That's a shame. The governor and everybody else should have told him, shut up. Right. Shut up. Shut up. The reason the Department of Correction compete with other industries is, is that we have lost mission. We the mission drift. We the mission drift. We have to bring the prosecutors back in line. We have to bring the sheriff's office back in line. We have to bring local judges back in line. We have judges here in this state that was giving away so many life sentences, and they all were saying the same thing. It sounded like uh, prisoners of war where they just say, I was just obeying orders. <laughs> all the judges were saying, oh, I gave a life sentence, but I didn't know that's what it meant. Come on. We had the largest life for population in the country, the largest life for population in the country. And our judges are all saying the same stupid ass stuff that they didn't know a life sentence mean life. Where the Department of Correction Parole Board did, it took and say, shut up now. We got them. We got them now. Judges will say, hey, no, release so-and-so and release so-and-so. I only meant for him to do about 10 years and that if he or she satisfactorily behaved that they can go to the parole board and seriously be considered. And the Department of Corrections said that ain't what we intend. Life mean life. Right. Life mean life. And so this is what we're saying. We need to have a different conversation. We do right. have solutions. Yes. I have a, uh, there was a question in the chat and I want to address it right quick before um, we leave out. Let me find it. Okay, this is what the question was. And anyone can take this question. What is your analysis on the hit TV reality show 90 Days In or the return of cops for starters? Man, oh man. You know, I, I think about what whatever we digest into our spirits becomes a part of our psyche and becomes a part of who we are. And, and I think sometimes that's how people become desensitized, right? 
about what's going on in policing. I mean, I, I remember on um, watching cops as a kid, they used to beat the crap out of people all the time. So I thought that was just what police do, right? Like, and not even thinking about it fast forward to now as I'm grown seeing how police beat and kill and do all this stuff. But again, I just think it, we become a con, we become conditioned to it. Well, I know that's right. Alicia, say that. What did you say? Uh, copaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Reveteer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement because I believe what like the word says, whatever you sow, you shall also reap. And what what that happens? I mean, just know that when my children were little, and look. look they are 30 now as my oldest are 30 years old they're twins i did not allow them to watch it it was a rule in my house you could not watch it so i don't want none of that on tv the reason why is because i know whatever goes into the gates it's gonna come out it's being it's being formulated some somewhere i did not want them used to and compliant with this type of nonsense with this type of of slave mentality, slave catching mentality that has been taught generation after generation. I did not want them to think that was the norm for African-American males. When I had an African-American male come out of this womb, I cried and asked, Lord, help me because this world, this world is, is not friendly to people of color. Help me guide them. And the first thing I had to do was shut out anything that was not going to build them up. You got to ask yourself, does this build up a community or does it tear it down? Alicia. And I don't want them getting another dime. We need to turn this stuff off. Mm -hmm. Send a message. Right. Go ahead, Alicia. No, I was just say, I, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, from being a former cop, I, I can't watch the, the shows. I mean, first of all, they're fake. Um, you know, they're grounded in a lot of almost like romanticizing or uh, I don't even know what to call it. But I, I just I, I don't like them. And I feel like it's a way to sort of um, further ingrain this mass incarceration and system in, in people. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's even like cartoons with the cops and uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't like it. And I think it's a part of this narrative um, that we need to keep fighting against. Baraka. Well, I haven't seen the particular show you said, nor would I would take and even bother to watch it because I understand that uh, um, all of this is not entertainment. It may be presented to you in a form of entertainment but it's to take and sell something, to sell an idea. And um, if these ideas are not originating in the community among the people themselves, uh, the fact that it's being produced by someone doesn't make it a marketable uh, uh, um, idea or program. We took and brought into that idea that if you can do the, if you do the crime, you do the time, and we wind up taking and locking children up, you know, um, <laughs> And, and, and that wasn't a solution. And I asked, this is this is a question uh, I asked. You locked up millions of crackheads across the country, or crack users, excuse me, not, don't let me use uh, this um, offensive language. But if you 
we we did. We locked up millions of drug users across the country. And I ask you this question. Do you feel safe or not? We locked up um, millions of people that are carrying firearms. Do you feel any safe or not? Mm-hmm. See, because all those things, we done locked up millions of homeless people. Are you any safe or not? We have locked up millions of people with mental illness. Are you safe or not? But you are demanding more of the same. It's insane. That's what insanity is. You are asking more of the same. We done locked up a whole generation of people because we didn't approve of the type of drugs that they were using. That's what it come down to. We didn't approve that you was using crack over us drinking wine or whiskey or beer. Okay? So we didn't approve of you using crack or smoking weed. So the non-weed smokers and the non-crack users decided to lock up all the crack users and all of the weed smokers. But I ask you, when you get through with your beer, do you feel any safer? Those of us that have a home is ignored by the ones that's out on the street. So we lock them all up. So now I ask you, do you feel any safer now that all the Vietnam veterans are off the street and in the county jails? Do you feel any safer? Okay, that's what I ask you. You done locked up. You done locked up people that are unemployed, that no longer have a job at Ford Motor Company or Chrysler or General Motors. You done locked them all up now that they don't have jobs anymore and you ignored by them with their hand out saying that they will work. They will work. You know, they stop your car and say they'll work for a dollar. You ignored by them. Now you done locked them all up. Now I ask you, do you feel any safer? Exactly. Everybody in the community feel unsafe. This is why they carry guns. This is why they carry guns. Taking and locking up everybody with a gun doesn't make the community safe if the community feel unsafe to carry the gun. It's not stopping anything. Ask Graham Home and, Ki- and Kilpatrick. Ask them when they decided, when the federal government took and told them they wouldn't take in the, the formal prisoners that were being paroled and violating their parole by having firearms when they went back and grabbed those people and put them back in prison for parole violation for a minimum of five years for having that gun after they done that in the overcrowded michigan prison system asked them do they feel any safer did it make the community any safer those were not solutions you and here the detroit police department is doing it again we are living in a pandemic and people's lives have been turned upside down and everybody else can relate to the crime going up and other incidents to the pandemic everybody but the people's in law enforcement right everybody but the people's <laughs> in law enforcement and they are screaming and hollering it's because she tried those liberal ideas we ain't even started right <laughs> you're right and so and I had that chart and um uh of the how they were doing the stop and frisk last year and all of these um 
all these people were arrested for handguns. But when you and back to the question, when you watch these uh, when you watch these shows, the CSI, cops, um, all these shows, and then you listen to the news, <laughs> and you you repeat these narratives in your head all day, all night. Now you're in panic mode because you think everything that you see on TV is happening in your world. And so, no, these shows are not good. <laughs> uh, and, and then we take these biases because a lot of these shows show a lot of biases and racist narratives. And then when you go to court or serve on jury duty, you bring this to jury duty. You bring this to court, <laughs> your biases that you learn from TV shows or you watched on cops or whatever, and then you end up sending innocent people to prison a lot of times or, or people are over-sentenced, you know, and so because of these narratives. So we had to pull ourselves away from it. We can't say we're for reform and we're sitting up here watching CSI. Uh, we're watching, you know, cops or we're, you know, we have to, this is a, a 24 hour a day, how you carry yourself every day when you're talking about reform, when you're talking about transforming, what, what you're thinking about, what's coming out of your mouth, how you're reacting to people, how you're responding, even how we respond to people, we have to be aware you know, are we responding to people who just uh, return home in the proper way? Are we still repeating these narratives? So, you know, we have to do, it's on us as well. We can't just hold everybody else account, um, to the fire and say, well, you did this and we're not doing it as well. Once we start doing it, then we can make you know, force it on the change on the other end. But we have to, as well, let this stuff go. Stop watching these shows. Refuse. These shows are based are on your viewers, right? So they see we got a lot of viewers watching this stuff. Then we're going to bring more of this stuff out here. So when you're not watching the people who sponsor this, it's okay, I'm not going to sponsor this because we don't have the viewers for this. So, it's up to us. Yes, it, it's, it's up to us. We have to take and um, identify um, uh, um, offices, um, public offices that are contributing to this situation. And as we uh, say here on this show, um, prosecutor's office is um, central, um, judge's office are central, and sheriff's offices are central. Some of the other players that are central are being appointed. You know, the mayor appoint who's the chief of uh, police. I don't think the police runs for office. Uh, we should probably have a say in that. But remember, when you choose a mayor, you choose somebody that will determine who's the head of your police department, etc. Right. You know, so we do have to be careful, but we have to take and um, we can't stop at just protesting. I appreciated the Detroit Justice Center. I was on a recent uh, uh, um, a meeting uh, with the board of directors and the, um, the, the attorneys there themselves that work there um, took and acknowledged that what they did in response. So if you think we was out there protesting and nobody 
cared. I want you to hear this. They took an acknowledge in the Detroit Justice Center. They said that they witnessed your protests and the fever in which you were out there protesting. And they took and tried to emulate that, the same level, the same violence, uh, a volume that you had. They took and went into court and defended you and your right to take and protest. That's what they went into court with when they demanded your release. Uh, that's what they did when they went in and demanded that um, people who were in the county jail be given a, a, a means of getting out of the county jail and escape the pandemic and so forth. They said that they wanted to meet the same fever that you were taking out there on the streets and protesting with. I was ready to cry when I heard um, of the members of the Detroit Justice Center even saying that because I know what it was like out on the street. I know how people were screaming and hollering and they were upset and everything. And these attorneys saying that, hey, they got dressed up in their suits and their high heels and, 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 and their briefcases and they went into court and they did the same type of ass kicking. They did the same thing and they demanded for, you know, that your constitutional rights have the integrity that it should have. So I was very proud of this organization in which I am um, a member of a board of directors. And I want to say to you, be proud of what you did this past summer. Be proud of what you did this past year or two or three years. And but don't stop now. Go over the finish line. Show up at the polls when it's time to vote. Make your voice heard. Make people's take and have a conversation around the issues that you want to have a conversation with. You don't want someone just showing up in the space telling you what he or she is doing. You want them to listen to you. You want to hear when they do talk whether or not they heard you. Whether or not they heard you. And this is a new day and a new time and we want new responses. Things that have been talked about and, and you, there are some I was listening to one of Gil Scott Heron's uh, 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 recordings. He was talking about um, knock and, and, and don't announce more than 20 years ago and we're still dealing with it right now today yeah and got a he got a record about it 20 years ago you know here we have a court that even take and interpret our constitutional rights through the prisms of race you know through through lenses of race when you look at the first amendment or i mean excuse me the second amendment the damn right is on steroids but when you look at the Fourth Amendment, it's in the damn mud. Anytime the court is interpreting whether or not you have the right to be frisked and searched and seized, they always come up with a justification to excuse it. Guess who's being affected by the Fourth Amendment? Being violated? Black people. Yeah. Guess who are arguing for the Second Amendment? White people. Yeah. These damn fools are asking for military hardware in our damn communities in neighborhoods they ain't satisfied with a simple six shooter they done killed all the native americans with gallery guns and now they're going back there they're going back to where they committed uh inhumanity to humanity they're going back to saying that i want a gallery gun that's how we got the native americans that's how we got the indians and this is what we got to have now and the courts are like 
and the legislators, the U.S. Congress and Senate, they won't even listen. They like we clay, we cut the place down if you want to come in and talk about how many kids got killed in the school. We don't want to take and talk about that. You know, kids are dying all over the country, and you don't want to have that discussion. But somebody come to you and say somebody on crack, and you lock up the whole damn nation because mm -hmm. they're all black. These judicial decisions and these legislative decisions are based on race. They're not based upon ideas of safety. The only people that don't understand this too often is you and I. Our constitutions have been colored. The Fourth Amendment is colored. <coughs> the Second Amendment is colored. The Sixth Amendment is colored. The Fourteenth Amendment is colored. And I'll be damned if you misquote the damn 13th Amendment. Oh, we were free. You didn't see the second half of the 13th Amendment? You didn't see the clause to talk about the exception? And you have been the exception. And guess what? When, when there wasn't enough sheriffs to catch uh, uh, um, blacks that was being freed, that's when the business community hired the Klan, okay? That's when the business community hired the Klan when there wasn't enough sheriffs to do their bidding, okay? And so now we have the sheriff saying, hey, give me all the money, I do it myself. I do it myself and we're saying no. He's going out and doing exactly what the Klan did in, 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 in gathering up all the poor, in gathering up all those that are um, using substance. It was okay to get them uh, um, hard liquor when they was in the sun working in the field. But now that they free, you're saying, no, they can't have that drink no more. They can't have that hard stuff no more. It was okay when you was taking and, and giving them that to work in the, in the sun. But now you're saying, no, 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 you ain't on my plantation no more. That don't happen no more. It was okay when they were sleeping out in the field, but now you're saying, no, 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 you ain't got no home. <laughs> so you want to substitute a prison cell for the home. We got to have a say for that. We have to quit taking and arguing against our own interests. You know, yeah. we have to quit arguing against our own interests and start listening to each other. This is not a biased situation. This is not a Republican or a Democrat. This is not a black or a white issue. We done sold our, our idea of democracy. We done sold our idea of democracy. Anytime we see the, the different amendments in the Constitution through the eyes of race, white, Second Amendment, black, Fourth Amendment, throw it in the mud, eighth, sixth, fourteenth, all those amendments, throw them in the mud, those belong to the black. Any amendment that protects white, we even, the white, the fourth, the Second Amendment is higher now than the First Amendment. It's higher than the amendment the amendment that we use to take and protect our right to worship and the right of freedom of speech. We don't even use the freedom of speech properly. Listen to what the former president of the United States did with his freedom of speech. He incited the nation to take a, to steal another president's presidency under the idea of freedom. And we have yet to arrest his ass. We have yet, he did more harm than uh, a million drug addicts, but we done locked it up, a million drug addicts, but the one individual that used his constitutional right of freedom of speech to lie, a petrological liar, we haven't did any damn thing.
from him other than keep him in the damn news every day. Keep him in the news every day. He's still selling newspapers. I'm tired of hearing his ass in the news. Throw all them damn papers away that mention him. I'm tired of hearing his name in the news. All right. Well, yay. Uh, I agree. Thank you, Baraka. And thank you, Tia. And thank you, Alicia and Trisha and um, um, Attorney Hugo Mack and Alexandria for you guys for joining me today. This was a very deep conversation, but a necessary conversation. And um, I want to let you guys know that next week we're going to have um, Kimberly Woodson on and she's going to and um, Elder Lesser Matthews and they're going to be talking about why good time makes good sense. So please join us on that. Also, to learn more about Gerard's wrongful conviction story, please go to um, www.change.org slash justice for Gerard. Please sign and share the petition. Um, and thank you for joining us. We will see you next Friday, same time. 6 p.m. for turning a moment to a movement. And also, thank you for all of those that join us on YouTube and Twitter. Thank you. We'll see you guys as well next week. Goodbye. <laughs>